All right, Revolution, how are we doing today? I heard a woo before I even asked, so I'm gonna assume this is gonna be a fun time. So I'm excited to be here today. Jasper, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, I am excited to be here. I'm glad that you are here. We're gonna be in 1 John chapter three. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 John chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses 19 through 24 today. And as you do that, I want you to think about this question. Think about it, process it as you open your Bibles. What is something in your life that you were absolutely sure of when you were younger, only to realize you were wrong? So just process it, think about it. What is something you were absolutely sure of when you were younger, only to realize you were wrong? When I was a kid, I was sure that the icebreaker meant that I planted in the soil next to my house was gonna grow into an icebreaker tree and make me a millionaire. I was sure of it. I was sure when I was younger that I was gonna grow up to be a marine biologist. I wanted to study sharks and now I work with students and it's pretty much the same thing. (laughs) I was sure that my parents were wrong when they said, son, one day your metabolism will catch up to you few years later, about 25 pounds later, I wished I had eaten more salads, salads, right? In case you didn't, you're not quite there yet. It's okay. It's 1115. Hopefully you understand the lingo. So there are a lot of things in life that we are sure of only to realize that we probably shouldn't have been quite so sure. So John today, in this passage we're going through, he's going to help us wrestle with something and understand something that we cannot afford to be unsure about. And that's our relationship and our standing with God. So I wanna read our passage today as a whole, then I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive in together. John starts off in verse 19, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that is in it to draw us closer to you. Thank you for the comfort that is in it. God, as we struggle through life, I pray that you would do both of those things today. You would challenge, you would comfort, uh, and we would see Jesus in a big and beautiful way today. It's in his name we pray, amen. So let's jump back up to the beginning of that passage. Let's start in verse 19. John starts by saying, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. In fact, I want everyone to say that word, whether you're in Canton or in Jasper, say that word, know. This is a really important word for the rest of this passage. In fact, I think this word really unlocks the meaning of it because it shows us what John is focusing on. See, John's focus for this passage is the subject of assurance, particularly our assurance in our relationship with God. So John is starting off this section 
by calling to his people and saying, listen, I want you to know that you are of the truth. I want you to know that you're saved. I want you to be assured in your relationship with God. Now, this isn't necessarily a new thought process. As Jason talked about the first week of the series, John writes in a sort of cyclical pattern. So he's not building up to something. He's not even necessarily building off of things all the time. Rather, he is doing these cycles, coming back to these same uh, repeating thoughts, these same main points that he has all throughout this letter. So this idea of knowing is not a new thought, and this is not the last time you'll hear about it. In fact, let's look at some of that together. Look in chapter two, verse three, it says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verses five and six says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, if we jump ahead in 4.13, it says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Then lastly, in 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So we see quickly that John is all about some knowing. John wants his people to know that they know that they are in right standing with God. And if you study the context of this letter, it makes sense. Because John was pastoring during a tough time. There were splits going on because there were heresies in the church. So people were, were leaving off and believing things that you know, weren't of God. And so John was really dealing with a confused group of people in his area. There was probably people that genuinely didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't know, hey, how do I have assurance? Because these guys are saying this, these guys are saying that, I'm somewhere in the middle. And so John is writing to a people that are probably confused, and so he has to harp on this subject. He has to make sure that they know that they know. And you'll notice this passage is both a challenge and a comfort, depending on where you're at with God. So you'll see as we go through, it starts off very challenging. John is talking to a particular group of people, but then he's gonna kind of shift or, or pivot a little bit and start talking to another group and, and giving them a sense of comfort. So let's look at this a little bit more closely. John starts with the phrase, by this. So John is referring back to everything that he just said. For us, John is referring back to everything that David talked about last week which was our love for one another. So really what John is getting at here is he's saying our love for one another is evidence and reassurance that we are of the truth. So how do we know we are saved? John responds, well, do you have external evidence to prove it? And this is the challenging part of John's message. He is challenging people to say, listen, if your actions completely contradict your words and your supposed beliefs, then you may not be of the truth. And John's just trying to be a good pastor, right? He's trying to make sure that people know. And he says, listen, if you are not following in the words of God, you may not be of the truth. 
And that's hard for us to talk about because we don't wanna fall into this slippery slope of uh, works-based religion, but we also can't ignore what John is saying. In fact, Jesus says the same thing. Look at what Jesus said while he was on this earth. Matthew records it in his gospel. Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Then he asks a question. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, if you're from the city like me, you actually don't know the answer to that question. Like, I'm not sure. If Jesus asked me that, I'd be like, I, I don't know, Jesus. Like, you tell me. You know, is this a trick question? Because I don't know what a thistle is, but here's the point. Jesus is saying you produce what you're connected to. You produce what you're connected to. In fact, I wanna try a little exercise really quick. I'm gonna start a sentence and I want you to finish it. So this is for here in Canton and those of you in Jasper. I'm gonna start this sentence. You had to have been paying attention up until this point. Very, very difficult thing to answer. Are y'all ready? All right. Apple trees produce apples. apples. Very good. Some of y'all didn't respond and that concerns me a lot as someone that cares about you. I also realized very quickly that I'm not in students because I know if I would have done that in students, apple trees produce, some middle school student would have been like, pizza! I'm like, it's in Matthew chapter eight. Okay, pay attention, read your Bible. So apple trees produce apples. You produce what you're connected to. So Jesus is saying, if you're connected to me, you should be producing the fruits that I talked about. So John and Jesus are really in agreement here. And in a simple way to put this, they're both saying internal change produces external transformation. If Jesus has changed you inside, if you have experienced salvation, received the Holy Spirit, there should be an external transformation. Our love for one another, our actions, our words, those things should change because we should now overflow in our lives because we are connected to Christ. So again, this is a challenging thing where he says, you shall know that you're of the truth if you are loving one another. You shall know you are of the truth if there is external evidence, this external transformation to prove that. And so it's hard to swallow, but at this point, it's not necessarily hard to understand. These are tough words, but they're not confusing. But as we go into verse 20, you're gonna see John throws a curveball. And that's a baseball reference because it's 4th of July weekend in America. <laughs> I will stop my baseball references there because they end at curveballs. So John throws this curveball. He, it's almost a little bit confusing, but look what he says here. In verse 20, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. To me, when I read this, the reason it sounds confusing is because it seems like John is doing a little bit of this good cop, bad cop routine. In verse 19, you have the bad cop. You know, John is, is coming at you like, hey, I'm challenging you. Is there external evidence to prove your faith? You may not be of the truth. I mean, he's coming down really hard. 
And then we get to verse 20 and it almost seems like he's like, hey man, but listen, if you check your heart and your heart condemns you, it's cool. God's greater than your heart. So it seems like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. Again, this is where he's making that pivot that we talked about at the beginning. This is where John is shifting his focus a little bit. In fact, some scholars say that you could uh, remove the word for and just start a new sentence with the word whenever because it's a little bit of a different train of thought, and I think that makes sense. And it makes sense to me because, again, John is still talking about assurance, but he's talking to a different group. And this is really where the comfort comes in because John wants to challenge, he wants to shake up one group of people to say, hey, is there any external change? Does your life look any different after coming to Christ? Are you bearing the fruit that the Bible talks about? But at the same time, John doesn't want to scare or to wound genuine believers who are legitimately saved. So he's trying to shake some people up But he's also saying, listen, I know some of you are genuine believers and I don't want to get you all twisted up and fearing and doubting your salvation. So again, he pivots here a little bit and he's talking now to a different group and he says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. What John is saying is although our love for one another is evidence and reassurance, of our salvation, it is not the primary assurance of our salvation. It is evidence, it can reassure us, but it is not the foundation of our assurance. Because if it was, your heart would condemn you. Think one of the main ways that our hearts can condemn us when it comes to this subject of assurance is we may look at that and go, well, I am loving people, I am trying to obey God by the Spirit the best I can. But our heart comes in with his condemnation and whispers, but are you doing enough? You're loving people, but have you loved enough people this week? Are you sure that you're of the truth? I mean, have you, have you met your evangelism quota this month? Have you done enough good things? Did you pass your sin test with like a C plus? our hearts start to whisper to us, hey, you may not be saved after all. You may need to do more. You may need to be better. You may need to start doing all of these things to make sure that you're saved because you may not be doing enough. See, that's where the heart is condemning us. I don't know if you know this, but your heart is a really bad guide. Your heart is a really bad guide to life. That's why I don't like it when people say, follow your heart. Such a common phrase, follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart behind me, Satan. It's not good advice because sometimes my heart doesn't want what Jesus wants. Sometimes my heart doesn't want what's best for me. I'll tell you what my heart wants. I want to eat cheeseburger bobbies for dinner every night. And I already went over the metabolism problem So we don't need to circle back there. That's a problem, not the best thing for me. So if our heart is a bad guide to life, then it's definitely a bad guide to our assurance of salvation. Look at the way Jeremiah 
says this. Jeremiah is a prophet, just he pulls no punches. He says this in Jeremiah 17, nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hallmark would be out of business if they read Jeremiah 17. (laughs) I've never picked up a card for a graduate that was like, congrats, grad, chase your dreams, follow your deceitful, desperately sick, confusing heart, (laughs) prayers and blessings. Never picked one up like that. Maybe you have, the Christian bookstore. But the point is, hearts are good at condemnation because our our hearts are sick. And and Jesus changes us and he is renewing us, but we still have this sin nature in us. So our hearts are prone to deceit so they can't be fully trusted. Which is why follow your heart is a bad idea when it comes to assurance for salvation. So again, now John is talking to a group of believers that are probably condemning themselves unnecessarily. He's talking to a group of believers that are afraid they're not measuring up. He's talking to a group of believers that are feeling like they haven't done enough to earn God's love. John is talking to a group of believers that need to hear comfort, that need to hear assurance, And he gives them two pieces of assurance. He says, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So let's break that down a little bit. The first one, God is greater than our heart. Really what John is saying is what you feel isn't necessarily what's real. Your heart, your feelings are not the judge of your salvation or the judge of the universe. Your heart is not sovereign. Your heart doesn't determine truth. So what you feel isn't always what's real. I remember when I was in elementary school, there was a lady that came to our school to do a presentation and she came up and she was talking in front of the class and I don't really remember what she said up until this point. But at one point she asked for a volunteer and me being, you know, ADD and, and extroverted, my, my hand just shot up involuntarily. I was like, oh gosh, so I guess I'm going up there. So I went up there and she was doing this presentation and she put this blindfold around me and she went and grabbed something from her bag and she put it in my hand and she said, I want you to feel around, feel this thing and think about what you think it is. So I started kind of rolling this thing around in my hands and feeling it in all sorts of different ways. And then she took it and she started to rub it on my face. And I want to stop right now and say, this is not as creepy as it sounds. Because it sounds real creepy. And I am aware of that. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. So she took this thing and started rubbing it, you know, across my face. And then she put it back in my hands and she said, okay, are you ready to tell the class what you think it is? I said, yeah, this is, this is easy. So she took the blindfold off me and she said, what do you think it is? I said, well, it's a rock. It's clearly a rock. It feels like a rock. It's got the weight of a rock. It's a rock. This is too easy. Give me something else. And so she turned to the class and said, do you guys think he's right? So let me ask you in this room, in Jasper, do you think I was right? No, because that would be a really dumb story to tell from stage. (laughs) Like, yeah, I was right. I'm awesome. Anyway, 1 John chapter three, let's continue. No, I was wrong. So she said, no, that's incorrect. This is actually a piece of petrified dinosaur poop. I was like, you were rubbing that on my face. 
I could probably call someone about this, but I didn't have a cell phone back then. So it's like, you know, you couldn't do anything about it. So she did this and instantly I was like, oh, I'm called to student ministry now, right? Like this is, this is it. I'm gonna do games like this, embarrass people as I have been embarrassed for the rest of my life. But the thing is, is I, what I was feeling wasn't actually what was real. I thought that what I felt was real. I thought that it was a rock. I wished that it was a rock, but it was not. So I couldn't trust my feelings in those moments. And when it comes to our life, we really can't trust what our heart feels. We really can't trust our heart as this guide. So we have to understand the truth that God is greater than our heart. He says, my words determine the truth. My words determine what is true. I am greater than that. Don't test your life or your salvation by your feeling. Test it by my word because it is greater than your heart. And that leads us right into the second assurance he gives us, which is he knows everything. So if God is greater than our heart and he knows everything, that means that we can't hide anymore. We have nothing to hide. Think about it. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, we have been trying to hide. We have been playing this cover-up. Right? Think about what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were there in the garden. Serpent comes in, tempts them to eat the forbidden fruit. Sin enters the world. What do they do next? It says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover up. They tried to hide. And can you imagine how silly that must have looked to God? Like sometimes you just gotta put yourself in the Bible. God's strolling through and they're trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves. God's like, there was a lot of stuff here you could have used. The fig leaves ain't covering much, man. It's silly. They're trying to hide from God using fig leaves. And God's like, you can't hide from me. I mean, how silly is that? I'm no fashion expert. Let that sink in for a moment. But if I went and grabbed some fig leaves and tried to walk out in public, we'd have a problem. I'd be on a few Instagram stories. And if there was a breeze, I might be in trouble big time. This is a bad idea. This doesn't work. They're trying to hide from God. And God's like, I know everything. What are you doing? Now you just look silly. We do the same thing, though. We try to hide from God. We try to cover ourselves up to make ourselves look more presentable before God. And he's like, I'm greater than you. I know everything. And listen, that would be really bad news if our primary assurance of salvation was in us. The fact that God is greater and he knows everything, which means everything, like the stuff that you don't wanna tell your small group, the stuff you don't wanna tell your spouse, the stuff you don't wanna tell your parents, students. If God knows all of that, that would be bad news if it weren't for Christ. 
See, the reason that these are comforts, the reason that it's comforting that God is greater than our heart, the reason that it is comforting that he knows everything is the fact that Jesus covered us fully, better than the fig leaves could do, and God loved us anyway. He said, I know everything. I know the deepest, darkest parts of you, and I still love you. I know the parts of your heart that condemn you, whether they are lies or whether it is truth. I know all of it, and I love you anyway. That's why these are comforts, because I can stand before God who knows me entirely, who is greater than me, and understand that I am loved and that I don't have to measure up. The Bible calls us to mimic Christ, through the power of the Spirit, but the Bible never tells us that we can measure up to Christ. None of us can measure up. Romans tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have fallen short. We all have missed the mark. And yet in this, Christ loves us with all of our flaws and our failures. So again, John is challenging one group of people to test themselves, but he's also trying to encourage the doubting believer that, listen, before you get all tangled up in this, you've got to know that your ultimate assurance is not in your work, but in the work of Jesus on your behalf. Your ultimate assurance is not in your work or what you have done, but it's in the work of Jesus on your behalf. So how do you know that you're of the truth? Well, is there external transformation to show that there was an internal change? And if not, then then meaning to stop there and revisit whether that salvation is legit or not. But if so, and you say, no, I'm, I'm following after God, then the next thing is simply to throw yourself on Christ. To say, hey, he measures up for me. I am following God the best I can, but I am trusting Christ to measure up for me. And the best thing is, if that is the case, if you have worked through those two things, then there is a blessing and a result of that. And that's what we're about to see in verses 21 and 22. Look what John says. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, we teach out of the ESV here. It's a very accurate translation. But I wanna read those two verses one more time in a different translation that gets at the sort of heart behind what is happening here. Look at the way the message says this. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. So John is saying, if you have examined yourself, if you have thrown yourself on the mercy of Christ, you can trust that you are of the truth. And if you are of the truth, that means you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, ask anything. Ask anything. It says, be bold in asking your father for things. You are free to approach your heavenly father and ask him for things. Stretch out your hands. I love that imagery because what does a kid do when they need something? Just stretch out their hands. 
aside from crying and pooping, but they stretch out their hands and say, give me what I need. Give me what I need. I I am in need. I know that you're the ones that always help me, so I'm just gonna stretch out my hands. A a child is not contemplating and self-condemning. They're not like stretching out their hands, but they're like, ah, but I didn't eat enough vegetables this week. Maybe I don't deserve it. Right, they're not like stretching out their hands like, well, I cried a lot last night. I really gotta tone back the crying if I want my parents to give me what I need. No, they just open up their arms, you at the face, like just give me what I need. And that's the beauty of our relationship with God. We have a relationship with God where we can just stretch out our arms and he'll give us what we need. In fact, God stretches his arms out to us and he says, come to me. I got what you need. I got the desires of your heart. You come to me. I got everything that you could possibly need because he is a good father. He doesn't just leave us on our own to figure this thing out. Reset the world into motion and now he's like, hey, well, you gotta figure it out. There's a lot of self-help books. Go take care of that. I will be in my divine lazy boy. No, God has open arms. He says, I am active in your life. I'm greater than your heart. I'm greater than any other things that can help you. I know everything about you. Just stretch out your arms. Just come to me. I will give you everything that you need. Now, if you aren't his kid, then, well, yeah, you may not receive what you're asking for. But if you are his kid and you're asking with this self-condemnation, the reality is you probably won't ask for anything. You'd be too full of shame or fear to approach God. But if you're a confident child who is loved, you just stretch out your arms and receive what the Father has for you. That is the blessing of our assurance. It's the blessing of being of the truth. Now, John goes on to end with a couple final thoughts. He says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So you'll notice in verse 23, John comes back to the same thoughts he's been saying throughout this book. It says, trust in Jesus, love one another out of that belief in Jesus. But then verse 24, he brings in another no. So John, throughout this short passage, has gone from how do you know to how do you know that you know to how do you know that you know that you know. I think John wants his people to know So he brings this up again. He says, and by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, when we trust Christ as Christians, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. We receive the presence of God, the power of God. God is with us. We remain in him. He remains in us. And there are many different roles of the Holy Spirit that we don't have time to get into today. But one of the main roles I've realized of the spirit is that of a spotlight. Now think about what a spotlight does. 
a spotlight doesn't bring attention to itself. It actually casts light and brings attention to whatever it's focused on. Did you realize that the Holy Spirit actually doesn't bring attention to himself, but points to something and someone else? Look at the way John says this in John 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, verse 14 is important. This is Jesus talking. He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This word glorify can also be translated as magnify. So the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify, to magnify the words and work of Jesus. What we see is the Spirit is a spotlight shining directly on the sun. Now, we're not talking about value here. We're talking about roles. And this says the Spirit's role is to point us to the cross, to the words and work of Jesus. The Bible tells us that, in fact, in Romans, it says that God's spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. That's kind of a confusing verse, but it's saying that the spirit is speaking to our deceitful hearts, to our condemnation and speaking the truth that we are children of God. Well, how does the spirit do that? The spirit doesn't assure us through just a feeling because feelings are fickle. The Spirit doesn't assure us through our track record, because we've gone over that. The Spirit reassures us, testifies to our spirit that we are children of God by pointing us to our primary assurance, which is the work and the words of Jesus. That is what the Spirit is doing. So as we leave here, we will struggle with those doubts at times. We will struggle to believe that God loves us for who we are. We will struggle to believe that we are not condemned. We will struggle to believe that if we are in Christ, God is not angry with us, but has joy in us. We will struggle to to feel like we're not measuring up. We will wrestle with those things because again, our hearts are, are sick, our hearts are deceitful, our hearts are confused. So we will struggle with that. But as we go, the Spirit is speaking to us. It's reassuring us. He's pointing us to Jesus. Saying, hey, you're looking too much at your own feet. Look at the feet that were nailed to the cross for you. You're looking too much at what your hands are doing. Look at the hands that were nailed to the cross for you. You're doubting. You don't have assurance. Look at Jesus. You don't feel like you're loved, look at Jesus. You don't feel like you're enough, look at Jesus. You don't feel like you're delighted in, look at Jesus. The Spirit is spotlighting the cross and saying, weary believer, doubting believer, look at what has been done for you because that is the assurance and the foundation of your faith. So we can know that we know, that we know that we are of the truth 
Because if we have trusted in Christ to save us, that is our foundation. And Ephesians says after that, we are sealed with the Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. You are sealed and God will walk with you for the rest of your life as you approach glory. And that is the beauty of this text. Now, this brings us full circle back to verse 19 again. Because we have to address that question, that issue that if you test yourself and you realize that your life doesn't look anything like Christ's, if you realize that there is no fruit in your life to indicate that you know Jesus, if you test yourself and you realize that you're not walking in the ways and the word of God, if you realize that you are double-minded, walking two different directions, then you gotta start there. You gotta camp out there for a moment to say, you know what, if there is no fruit in your life, it's not that you need to try harder, it's that you may not know Jesus. It's that you may not know what has been done for you. You may not have been sealed with the Spirit who will empower you after that. So start there. Start by confessing that to Christ and saying, you know what, I, maybe I was relying on my works, not as a result of my salvation, but as payment for salvation. Maybe I was relying on me to be my ultimate assurance instead of throwing myself on the mercy of Christ. And if that's you, you can change that today. In fact, I'm gonna ask everyone in here to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around or talking. If that's you, and for the first time, there's something stirring in your heart, and you know that you've been trying to measure up you know that you've been trying to work your way to heaven. Stop now. Look to Christ, who has fulfilled the law on your behalf. Look to Christ, who has accomplished everything that we needed to accomplish. So if that's you and you're feeling that for the first time, you can throw yourself on Christ today. You can change everything today. I'm about to walk you through a prayer and this is not some kind of magical prayer. I'm simply trying to help you find the words to call out to God for the first time. So if that's you and you wanna put your trust in Christ for the first time, you can repeat this after me to yourself, not aloud. You can say, dear God, I know that I am a sinner in need of saving. I know that I can't measure up or perform my way to salvation, but I trust in your mercy, grace, and love to save me and change me forever. I give you my life, and I ask you to transform me and walk with me. Now, again, all heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around right now. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. I'm gonna ask you to slip your hand up in the air. If you trusted in Christ for the first time, I want you to hold that hand up. I want you to hold that up high and proud, saying this is what Jesus did in my life. Hold that up high here and in Jasper, and keep that up 
because we have some response team, men and women, who wanna give you a Bible, give you a gift to help you kickstart this exciting journey. Let me pray for the rest of us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the comfort that our assurance of salvation is in you. Thank you that you have given us the spirit to continually draw us back to that. God, I pray that you would help us overflow with love for one another, overflow in our actions and in our words because of what you have done. It's in your name we pray, amen.